Well, what a day we have to celebrate Jesus risen from the dead. A couple things I want to throw out just in the very beginning of this. Uh, we don't want to come up with some groundbreaking idea. We don't want to do something cutting edge and new. We want to see what does the Bible tell us about what happened on this day 2,000 years ago. We don't want you to get caught up in any enthusiasm or to create some emotional feeling inside of you. We just want to look at the scriptures. But it is a day of excitement. And I will get enthusiastic. It's hard not to when Jesus is risen from the dead. But we want that enthusiasm and excitement to be rooted in God's word. I was thinking about how uh, envious I am of the couples who were able to watch the same TV shows and movies together. It's such a foreign idea to me that, that I have some follow-up questions. Uh, you guys are able to watch things at the same speed? No one falls asleep 10 minutes in? Okay, the biggest question. You guys actually want to watch the same things? I put on a movie and Emily asked me about it afterwards. It's like, oh, it's this Japanese animated movie about these two kids who are separated from their family. Their town was bombed and the entire rest of the movie, they're trying desperately to survive. So she asked me, they survive in the end though, right? No. Why would you watch that then? And then Emily puts on a movie and I predict the plot five minutes in. Actually, I should say, I correctly predict the plot five minutes in. And so I ask her, why would you watch something so predictable, so simple, so dull, so... Actually, I should probably stop using adjectives, otherwise I might get in trouble. But she says, it makes her feel happy. It's good to know how things, that things will end up, how they should. These movies give her hope, and it's good to have hope even if that hope comes from a garbage movie. <laughs> and we have hope in so many of our stories, right? We have hope that these superheroes will be able to put aside their differences and save the world for the thousandth time. We have hope that Harry Potter will be able to save the wizarding world. We have a new hope that Luke Skywalker will be able to exploit a construction error and destroy the Death Star. We have hope that Pixar will make us feel good in the end after making us cry after the first 10 minutes. And it makes sense that we have so many stories that are filled with hope because this world can be so full of pain. Apparently, sane, rational people don't watch stories that remind them of this, their pain like I do. They watch stories of hope because this world is so broken. I think of last week, Palm Sunday, a day of big celebration in the church, where we celebrate the day that Jesus was finally treated like the king that he is. And if you were with us last week, you might have noticed it wasn't a day of celebration for us. It was, in a sense, but we were mourning the loss of 10 people in the city of Boulder, a city that has a church that helped plant us a church that helped us to be a church, and so we mourned with them and for them. People in Atlanta are still mourning the loss of eight people in their community. Palm Sunday services in Makar, Indonesia, were halted as two suicide bombers attacked a church there. 
And then we have all the unacceptable number of deaths in Miramar. There is so much hurt in this world, and I'm just grabbing from headline news from the past two weeks, let alone all the stuff that doesn't make the news, but it upends individuals' lives. There is so much hurt and pain in this world, so it makes sense that we try to grab onto any amount of hope that we can. But then the next incident happens, the next news story, the next event, and we are rattled. And we look around wondering, where will our hope come from? Or, as I've started to see in some conversations with, with Christians, people become numb. Oh, just add it to the pile of other atrocities. But what does that mean? It means that we're giving into hopelessness. We were not meant to live that way. We were not meant for despair, to live like scavengers going from place to place, just trying to find that little bit of nourishment, that, that small amount of hope that we can cling on to, and yet more often than not, we walk away empty-handed. This is not how we were meant to live and it becomes less and less controversial to say that this world is broken with each new event. Even our lives don't look like how we want them to look like. And, and I don't mean the envy that we all feel. I don't mean us driving through Cherry Creek and dreaming. I don't mean when we're scrolling through Instagram and our lives don't look like the people's lives that are on there. No, no, I mean when we are kept up at night asking those questions, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I am not living the life that I think I should be living. We all ask these questions, right? Because we all have sin in our lives. We use this word in churches a lot to talk about. We all live in a way that goes against the good and beautiful way that God has for us to live. A way that's not a bunch of commands to follow, but a way for us to live that is how our designer and creator meant for us to live. If anyone would know, it was him. And yet we all turn away from God and follow after our own ways, and we end up hopeless. Because of the sin, because of wrongdoing, like all wrongdoing, there is a punishment for it. But what makes Good Friday good? Two days ago, we celebrated it. What makes Good Friday good is Jesus takes this punishment for, from us and fulfills it himself. Jesus goes and dies the death that we could never do. He fulfills this punishment that we could never fulfill for us. Because of that, we can have hope. But again, I said everything we are doing needs to come from the scriptures, so let's turn there. We'll pick up the story where we left off after read for us earlier. We'll be in Luke chapter 24. We'll start in verse 13, where in this passage, we will see the hopelessness of this world. Two of Jesus' followers are walking on this road, and they are deeply immersed in the hopelessness of this world. So as I said, Luke 24, we'll pick it up in verse 13. If you have a Bible, please read with me. If not, please read with me on one of these screens. This is what it says. And on that very day, so that's Sunday, 
that first Easter, after seeing the tomb was empty. On that very day, two of them, two of Jesus' followers, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And, and they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early this morning, and, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. There is hopelessness in this world, and Jesus finds these followers of his in a hopeless state. It said, we had hoped. You want to do some quick grammar? Is, is that future tense, present tense, past tense? The answer is past tense. Can you say past tense, please? Thank you. Yes, you guys got it. Exactly right. It's past tense. We had hoped. No longer, though, but we had hoped that Jesus was the one to bring hope into this world. But now he is dead. And so where will our hope come from? And more than that, it says it was the third day. This isn't some accident. This isn't a fluke. Jesus isn't pretending. He didn't just take a long nap. It's three days since Jesus died. What could we possibly hope for now? So Jesus finds these disciples realizing that there is hopelessness in this world. And if that was the end of the story, oh, we would be some woesome people. But there is hope because of the resurrection. I'm going to say it again because we need to get this. There is hope because of the resurrection. Let's continue in this passage. And he, this is Jesus, said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary for Jesus to suffer these things? What we saw on Good Friday, his death for us, and him taking our sins and putting them to death. Was it not necessary for him to enter his glory? What well, we celebrate on Easter, which extends to today, which extends through forever. Was it not necessary for that to happen? So this is no time for mourning. This is no time for despair. This is no time for hopelessness. It was necessary for Jesus to do this. It was necessary that he is not here, he is risen. 
And because Jesus does this, because Jesus dies the death that was supposed to be ours, because Jesus is raised to life, we can have hope in him. There is no other place that we can find lasting true hope apart from that. Because Jesus is forever alive. Because he has paid for our sins forever. Because the tomb is forever empty, we can have hope. This world can and has been and will be rocked by tragedy, but from that one event that will be forever true, we can have forever hope. There is hope for restoring relationships. There is hope for the forgiveness of sins. There is hope for justice in this world. There is hope for wounds being healed. There is joy in hardship. There is life everlasting. Because Jesus is alive, there is hope. And that's a great story, right? But it's not just a story. We can trust this hope. Again, let's look at the text. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We can trust in this hope. And I see two big reasons in this passage why we can trust the story. We can trust the hope that comes from it. We can trust the reality that Jesus gives us, that our sins have been paid for, and that we can have new life in him. The first reason is because all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And this is what he does right here, right? It says he walked through all of the scriptures concerning himself. This means that Jesus' coming, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, him being with, with us now was all promised and foretold in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't stumble into being a savior. He is a planned and promised method of restoration. The second reason is there are eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus came to life after death. We have two in our story, right? There, there's the one that's named, Cleopas, and there is the other one that's unnamed. And if you keep reading through Luke, and if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you see story after story of people who saw Jesus alive, even though they saw Jesus dead before that. They saw the risen Jesus, and so because of that, we can have hope. I love the way this New Testament scholar named Robert Stein put it. He says, the earliest Christian proclamation was not simply that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised. There was another part to it. It was rather that he died for our sins, was raised, and he appeared to fill in the blank of whichever eyewitness you want to put in there. And Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he tells us that there were over 500 people that Jesus appeared to after he had died and been resurrected. So there are so many witnesses. From the very beginning, it wasn't just a story, but it was a story that has proofs. It was a story where Jesus appeared to people, and these people were still alive at the infancy of Christianity. These people were still alive when these books were being written. There is a reason why Cleopas is named. Did you wonder about that? It's such a random detail in there. The other person's not named. So why does it say, and one of them, Cleopas, said to him this in the passage that we read? Why is that there? It, especially when you look at Cleopas doesn't show up anywhere else in the Bible. 2,000 years after his life, you want to know what we know about Cleopas? 
we've already done it all. It's a very passage that we read. We don't know anything about him at the time. But he would have been known at the time. He would have been known at the first century. When this story was getting out, people would have known Cleopas. That's why his name is included in here. It's not including someone random. It's this is someone you know. Go and talk to him. And it's not just that he can witness these things. It's not just that he can prove these details. But he's the very source of the story. Richard Bauckham, this genius of a scholar, the man who trained the people who trained me, he put it this way. If the names are persons well-known in the Christian community, then it also becomes likely that many of these people were themselves the eyewitnesses first told and doubtless continue to tell these stories in which they appear, which their names are attached. Let's break that down a little bit. So a good example is Cleopas in our passage. The story doesn't require that he's named. Really, what does it add to us that his name is there? And his companion remains anonymous. There seems no plausible reason for naming him other than to indicate that he was the source of the tradition. So Luke is writing this, this gospel, this book of the Bible, and he says Cleopas is included in the story. That tells people at the time, you can go to Cleopas and he can confirm that this is true. It's coming straight from him. It's his eyewitness experience. And because of that, we can trust this. The story of the resurrection, the story of the road to Emmaus, isn't the boyfriend or girlfriend that we had in middle school that you don't know only because she goes to a different school, but totally exists. Trust me on this one. No, 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 these are real people in the community who can fact check the events every step of the way, and these events only survive because they are true. And because of that, we can trust this hope. And there's so many other reasons as we read through these accounts as to why we can trust this hope. This story is full of details that you wouldn't expect in a fabricated story. Look no further than what we read earlier of the first eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was, was risen. It was women. And in first century Palestine, it was a very patriarchal society where women were not counted as legitimate witnesses in a legal sense. So if you were accused of a crime and you had a, a woman who could prove that you couldn't have done it, well, it was as if you didn't have a witness to that fact because they weren't allowed to give testimony. It is awful, and I only bring it up for this reason. If you are making up a story, why would you have your first and most prominent witnesses be people who are not allowed to be witnesses? It makes no sense other than the fact that it must be how the events occurred. Further, we see the absolute failure of Jesus' followers. Again, if you're making up a story, and if you are the people who are starting the church, don't you want to look good in the stories that you're telling? Let's talk about Cleopas. So he would have been known in the community. He, must, he would have been a Christian leader. What do we hear said to him in this passage? Oh, foolish one. So Cleopas is on his resume is putting, I'm the guy that Jesus called foolish. You should listen to me. That makes no sense to include that in a story, unless if that's how it occurred. Peter is the big one. He's one of Jesus' closest followers. We'll see his transformation later on. 
But what Peter did was constantly fail Jesus. Time after time after time, he completely failed Jesus. And even as Jesus is arrested, he's about to go to his death, Peter flees, first of all, and then he denies Jesus, and then he has no hope whatsoever that Jesus will rise again from the dead. Why would Peter, the rock on which the church is built, he is called, why would he let these parts of the story be included in this if it was not, uh, if this was a made-up story? This must have been the way that it occurred. And then mention it before, the transformation of these followers. Days after failing Jesus, we see an absolute change in their lives. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. They go from fear to boldness. They go from uh, not wanting to be included in Jesus' people to going and dying for being part of Jesus' people. It makes no sense that they would fill a story full of their errors and a story that they know is going to lead to their death. That doesn't sound very compelling. Hey, we're going to look like failures and we're going to die eventually. Do you guys want to join? Does that sound good? There is no reason for this to be recorded as it is recorded unless if it was true. And because of that, we can trust this hope. People who don't believe the resurrection, they, they say something to the effect of, do you not get how ridiculous it sounds to say someone came back from the dead? Yes, of course we do. We don't believe that this is normal either. And that's why this, there's been such a movement that has come back from this. This is a unique and special moment in history that God has worked to save people. We don't think it's normal. And yet God is working in the death and resurrection for our sakes and for his glory. And we can trust the hope that comes from that truth. And then finally, we are changed because of this hope. Our lives are transformed because of what Jesus has done for us. And we see that as we finish out this passage. And so they drew near the village to where they were going. And he, Jesus, acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward the evening and, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And while he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to jerusalem and they found the eleven and those uh, that were with them gathered together saying the lord has risen indeed and appeared to simon this is Peter, who we just talked about, while this was going on in our story, Jesus appeared to Peter as well. And then they, these two disciples we've been following, told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We see transformation in their lives because they have been confronted with Jesus. We see that they are changed because of this hope. And many of us wish, like, oh, I wish that we could see the risen Jesus. That would impact my faith so much. It's not the risen. It says, did not our hearts burn when Jesus appeared to us? No, it's did not our hearts burn when he opened the scriptures to us. It's seeing the truth of what Jesus has come to do in the Bible that helped them have faith, that helped them believe, that helped them be so transformed. 
And again, this is days after they failed Jesus. This is mere seconds after being filled with the hopelessness of the world, of seeing the empty tomb and reacting with despair. And right after that, they are changed. We see that with these two disciples. They were filled with hopelessness, but we had hoped, past tense, that he would be the one. And what is their immediate reaction? They get up and they walk those seven miles that they already walked again in the night, in a time without electricity, in a time that would have been very dangerous for them to do that, but they couldn't stop themselves. They were that excited. They needed to tell people. They needed to witness about what Jesus had done for them, about the new hope that they feel because of who Jesus is. They can't contain their excitement. It has to be now. And we are witnesses of what we are excited about, right? I could talk for hours about the Colorado Avalanche, and I can go into great detail about how their third line's defensive responsibility and surprising offense has really been a catalyst for the entire rest of the team. And, and I don't need to practice that talk because I love the abs that much. And we all do this. We watch a movie, we watch a show, we read a, a book, we pick up a new hobby, and we find ourselves just constantly talking about that thing. Because we're excited about it, we can't contain that excitement. And that is what it's like for those of us who have experienced the hope of Jesus, who has risen from the dead, who has conquered our sin and punishment for us. We can't contain ourselves. Because of this event 2,000 years ago, people are still, still to this very day, being changed because of the hope that is found in Jesus. So what does that changed life look like? Well, I want to go to just one other passage. We've been in Luke, and if you could turn with me just a couple of, of uh, books over, there's a book called Acts. And in Acts uh, chapter 2, we find the first ever Christian sermon ever recorded. Now, I know you're like, man, I thought I was just getting one sermon. Now there's another one. No, we're just going to look at the conclusion of it. It's going to be okay. And at the very end of the sermon, Peter... We've said his name a lot now. Peter, who had denied Jesus. Peter, who was so afraid of being associated with Jesus that he fled and said, I've never met this guy. He is now speaking to the very people who killed his Savior boldly. Again, what causes that change after days? But he is speaking to them boldly about who Jesus is and what he's done and how we find hope in him. And this is the conclusion of it. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. 38 says, this is what the changed life looked like. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I see four things in here of what that changed life looks like. First, we're called to repent. Repent is this classic Christian word that you might have heard or you've heard thousands of times where it means that we are turning away from the way that we were living before and we are turning to God. And we said before, we all have these, this life that we're living that we recognize that we are not living the way that we should be. And that's by our own standards, our own flawed standards, let alone a perfect God let alone a God who tells us exactly how we are to live and live in a fruitful, hope-filled way, and we have rejected that following after our own desires. Repent means we acknowledge that this was not the best way for us and the best way is to turn and follow after God. Second thing is we, are, we get baptized. 
Baptism is this expression that I believe in Jesus. I believe in the hope that is unshaken because it is rooted in the cross and in the empty tomb. It is a life that is completely immersed in Jesus. And so we symbolize the, that our, death, our sins have been put to death and we have been raised to new life in Jesus. This passage tells us who gets baptized, and it's everyone who believes in that hope that Jesus has died and been raised for our, our lives. Baptism isn't something that makes us be saved. It isn't something that earns Jesus' love. No, no, no. Bapt we get baptized because we have been saved and because we have been so loved by Jesus. Third thing, this is for every one of you, it says. We cannot make the decision to respond to Jesus' death and resurrection for anyone else. And no one can make that decision for us. We all must be responsible to make the decision to stop following after death and turn and follow the God of hope. Fourth, we receive the Spirit. Jesus is no longer physically on this earth but he did not leave us to stumble around, to fall, to try to figure things out on our own. No, no, no. He gives us the spirit who teaches us, who guides us, who helps us live a life full of hope. And then look at the next verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This promise, this hope, this reality of Jesus risen from the dead is for you. It's for you. Every one of us, it is for you. This past week, this past year, this March 2020 that hasn't seemed to come to an end yet, we may have been asking questions. Where are you, God? Why don't you care? Why aren't you doing anything? Easter is the reminder of a God who is there, of a God who has done everything that we need on the cross, in the empty tomb, to give us hope. We aren't left to wonder, is there more for me to do? Do I have to try to figure out how to cover my sins and this evil in this world? Do I need to try to find hope for myself? No, Jesus goes to the cross to die for us, and he proves that he has done all that we need by leaving an empty tomb behind, showing he has the power to defeat death, the power to defeat sin, the power to defeat hopelessness. This is for you. Is God calling you to himself? Is God, uh, have we been buying into the hopelessness of the world? Have we been wandering around trying to figure out what it is that we are called to do? Well, there is hope for that because Jesus is alive. Is God calling you to himself? There's something stirring inside of you, and, and even if you don't know what that is, that is all right. Find someone, someone you came with, someone who's wearing a name tag today. Come and find me afterwards, because we want to talk to you about the God of hope. For those who believe, and believe Jesus went to the cross, 
who died and paid the punishment that we could have never hoped to pay ourselves, who rose again three days later, proving that he could do what it is that he said he could do. Those of us who believe in that, well, here is the great news. We are celebrating today, but tomorrow there is hope because Jesus is alive. Tuesday, there is hope because Jesus is alive. Wednesday, there is hope because Jesus is alive. Do I need to keep going? You guys get it? Thursday, there is hope because Jesus is alive. I could keep going. Friday, there is hope because Jesus is alive and so on and so on and so on and so on. And we will never run out of days of hope because Jesus is alive. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this truth. You have come and paid a punishment we could have never hoped to pay. And you did it willingly. You died the death that should have been ours, and you proved the power to give us hope by rising again three days later. For those of us in here who haven't believed in this or are still struggling to believe in this, help us see that we can trust this hope you have come and done all that we need to find life in you, the life that we're meant to live. We were not meant for despair, but we were meant for life with you. Help us stir something in us. Help our hearts to burn inside of us by seeing what you are teaching us in the scriptures. For those who do believe, let us constantly be strengthened by the hope that is found on the unshakable history and fact that you have defeated the grave. This world around us may rattle and shake, but we are firmly founded upon you. To you and you alone we pray. Amen.